All right, good morning. All right, this morning we are um, beginning, uh, we're continuing on in the series that we've been in for several weeks now called The Life of Paul. So we are now in part 12, so we've been in it for a while now of Life of Paul. And for those of you that are new around here, um, I'll just let you know this is a series of sermons on the life of Paul. Okay, we didn't name it anything tricky. It is exactly what it sounds like. It is a character in the New Testament, a person um, who lived in the first century and wrote many of the books of the New Testament and was a missionary and an apostle and whatever else it says about here. Yes, he was also a preacher. So significant character in the New Testament. We're doing a series going through his life. We have so far in this series covered his early life, his conversion to Christianity, his early years in ministry, and we are now toward the end of his first missionary journey. We're almost at the very end of it. And today is going to be a somewhat unusual and interesting sermon, I think, in the, in the sense that our passage this morning is very short. Uh, for the past four weeks, we have covered 72 Bible verses here, okay? Um, not per week. Like, over the past month, we have learned 72 Bible verses. So on average, that's about 18 Bible verses per Sunday. Today, we are going to be covering three, okay? Three verses. Um, so our text this morning is Acts chapter 14, verses 20 through 22. Um, and one reason that I'm slowing our pace down is because, first of all, Paul, in these three verses, he travels to four different cities. That's a lot of cities per verse, okay? Right? It's, it's, it's three verses. He travels to four different cities. That's roughly the number of cities that he traveled to in the 70 verses that took place before these three. Right? So there's a lot that goes on, even though only a few words are given. There's a lot that goes on. This must have taken some significant time um, in his life. Um, also, in these four cities, three of these cities, he has a message for the people there. Paul does. And the message that he gives them is the application of that message is enough for one whole sermon. And so that's why we're going to do that today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 14, and our verses are 20, 21, and 22. I'm just going to start by reading the first one, Acts chapter 14, verse 20. And if you're very observant, you might catch this. The first verse this morning is going to be the last verse of last week, okay? So we're just going to pick up where we left off last time by just reading that last verse again. So we're really only learning two new verses. So picking up where we're last, this is how it ended last week. Acts chapter 14, verse 20. It says, after the disciples surrounded him, he got up and went into the town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. That's where we ended last week in the sermon when Doug Davison preached to us about Paul's time in Lystra. So when it says, after the disciples surrounded him, who's the him? Paul, all right. Um, so th the reason that, I mean, this is, this is a section about him. It's Paul and Barnabas, and, and who is it that surrounded him? The disciples surrounded Paul. Who are the disciples? These would be Christian converts in the town of Lystra. This would be people that Paul had just led to the Lord. This would be people who, they just became followers of Jesus. Um, Paul just explained the gospel to them, and so they've been a Christian for probably not very long. And there they are, and they surrounded him, and he got up. So they surrounded him while his body was on the ground. Why was that going on? Well, if you remember from last week, he was stoned to death, right? I say to death, I put it in quotes, because he didn't actually die. Um, but he was stoned to the point that they thought he was dead. And so there his body is, and the disciples surrounded him, and then he got up and went into the town. And so um, I'm thinking this probably implies that something miraculous took place. Um, I was talking with a friend of mine last week about it, and it just, it seems to me, I know Luke doesn't specifically say anything miraculous happened on this occasion, 
But I'm thinking if, you st- if, you, if there's a crowd of people so angry that they want to throw rocks at you until they're dead, and they're, until you're dead, and they're, then they, 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 they're throwing rocks at you, and then at some point they think you are dead, and they drag your lifeless body out of the city and set it down somewhere, then they didn't just, it's not like they just threw one rock, like medium-sized rock at his head, and he kind of went unconscious. Like, they must have, I would think they must have done a, a significant amount of damage to this man's body if they stoned him. This would have had to have caused, like, a concussion, or a brain bleed, or bones to be broken, or skin to be ripped open, or whatever. I mean, it must have been bad. And yet, he got up and went into town the next day. So, or that day, and then the next day left. So, I'm thinking, even though Luke doesn't specify it, just looking at what happened, I, I think probably God preserved him or protected him or healed him in some way. But either way, however it is, it's the, Luke just tells us what happened. That he got up and he went into town. And then it says the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. And so that's the next town in this story. Like the, he, so he's in Lystra and now we're transitioning to the next part of his story. He goes to a town called Derby. So we're going to need our map back up here so we can imagine what's happening with the next thing. This is the, the trip that um, Paul's been on. We've been using this map for a few weeks now. They started off in Antioch, big Antioch, which is different than little Antioch. They start over here and they sail over to Cyprus and they try evangelize the island of Cyprus and then they get on a boat here and they travel up to Perga. And then starting with these three cities, that's what we've talked about the past, the past three Sundays here at church, right? So we got Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. So they travel up to Antioch, do their thing there, then leave there and go to Iconium, do their thing there, leave there, go to Lystra. That's where we were last week. That's where he was stoned almost to death. And so today we add this new part to the map, Derby. Okay? Now they now go to a town that's like 60 miles uh, southeast of Lystra. So what happened in Derby? Well, the way we can know what happened in Derby is we look at the very next verse, verse 21, okay? It says this, Acts 14, verse 21, after they had evangelized that town and made many disciples. I'm going to just stop right there, okay? I know that's half a sentence. I really want us to just waller in this half a sentence for just a second, okay? I don't know why I said waller. That's not the, that's not, that is not the verb in my notes, and you all are not pigs, and I am sorry. <laughs> I want to sit in this verse, this, just half of this verse for a second, Okay? After they, adventures will be showing up at the second service when I just feel like I know what I'm talking about. Okay, so um, after they had evangelized that town, what's the town? Derby. Derby, very good. Okay, you were listening. So after they evangelized that town and made many disciples, and you can tell the story goes on. So he talks about Derby for, in most Bible translations, it's half of a sentence. So I would like to pause here, though, and I want to talk about this half of a sentence, um, because even though the story goes on, and even though Luke kind of rushes through this time period, we know that when he was living his life, he didn't rush through it, right? Like time passed at the, same, at the same speed that it normally does. So even though Luke only gives him half a sentence, he was there for days or weeks or months, however long he was in Derby. So I want to just imagine, well, what must have happened in Derby for the story to be told the way it is? And so I think from the half of a sentence that we have of what happened in Derby, we can figure out that two things happened. Paul and, Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas's mission and Paul and Barnabas's ministry in Derby, there were two things we can know about it from this half of a verse. It was uneventful and it was successful. Okay? Their time in Derby very likely was uneventful and successful. When I say uneventful, what I mean is Luke only gives it half of a sentence. So I'm thinking probably there wasn't a sorcerer that stood up and tried to oppose them like in Paphos, right? And there probably wasn't a time where they were there in the synagogue and then all the Gentiles in the whole town showed up and then the people, the Jewish people got jealous of them and then tried to kick them out of the town. 
And I'm guessing there wasn't a time where the people got together with their rulers and decided that they needed to kill him. And there probably wasn't a time where he was almost stoned to death. Because the story is just after they evangelized that town and made many disciples and then moves on. So it was probably just normal, ordinary ministry where he tells people about Jesus. So not only was it uneventful, it was successful. How do you know it was successful? And that's important to understand because you might go, well, does uneventful mean bad? No, uneventful was wonderful in this case. Okay? Nothing particular like, ooh, happened, but it was wonderful because it was successful. They evangelized that town. They proclaimed the gospel in that town. That's exactly what they wanted to do. And what happened because they proclaimed the gospel? They made many disciples. That's wonderful. That's exactly what they wanted to do. So I just wanted to stop halfway through the sentence and just go, yay. Like finally a stop on this tour where nothing bad happens to Paul and Barnabas, right? They just have a nice few weeks. Isn't that great? Now let's move on. So Derby goes well. And then here's the second half of the verse. After they had evangelized that town and made many disciples... They returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. So let's get our um, map back up here. So they've gone this way. They went to Antioch, and then Iconium, then Lystra, then Derby. Here they are. So now they circle back. Luke is telling us that they went to Lystra, then Iconium, then Antioch. It's the same three cities they were just in, but in reverse order, right? On their way in, they went here to here to here, and on the way out, they're going Lystra to Iconium to Antioch. And that's why we have this blue line to show you different than the line going in. I don't think they really, like, probably walked so drunkenly. Okay, but, but um, that's just to show you that they, they've gone their whole journey, and now they're going back in reverse order to the places that they just went to. Now, is that a big deal? That after Derby, and they have a good time in Derby, after that, they go to Lystra, then Iconium, then Antioch. Is that a big deal? Yes, it is a huge deal. Why is it a huge deal? Okay, here's why. Because we know from earlier parts of this story that there were people in every single one of these towns that wanted to kill them. Remember those parts of those stories? There were people that wanted to kill them in every single one of those towns. There were people who tried to kill them in one of those towns. Really, actually, there were people who tried to kill them, I think, in all three of these towns. You're going to see that in a second. So they're doing something that is dangerous. They're going to a place where the people do not like them. They're going to a place where the people want to murder them. So let me just, for those of you that were not here, let me give you a little review so you can remember, so you can know what took place on their way in, in case you weren't here for that part. And for those of you who have been here, this will just be a little review of what took place on the way in. I'm just going to read you just a few verses. Let's go back. First of all, let's go to Antioch and Pisidia first. This is Acts chapter 13, verse 50. This is what happened there. But the Jews incited the prominent women who worshipped God and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. What happened in Antioch? That's what happened. They were expelled from their district. And that was the place where it went the best. Okay, this was, this, of, of the three cities, this was the one that, that, that they had the best results. Okay, all that happened was that they were kicked out of town. Woo, we long for the days of Antioch when we just got kicked out of town. So, right, so that's what happened there. So then, they, after they get kicked out of town, they travel to Iconium. What happens there? Let me read you a verse from that section. Acts 14, verses 5 and 6. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers... To assault and stone them with their rulers makes me think they tried to make it official, like they, tried this, they thought they were worthy of capital punishment for, for preaching about Jesus the way they were. With their rulers to assault and stone them, they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian towns called Lystra and Derby into the surrounding countryside. So in this case, they almost get killed and they run away. Then they go to Lystra. What happens there? 
I'll read you from that part. This is Acts now 14, verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they had won over the crowds and stoned Paul, they dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. So the people in Lystra, they, they st- tried to stone him to death. And you might go, oh, so they were the worst ones, right? These people, at least these people didn't try to kill him. No, if you look, it says the people from Antioch and Iconium came. So you can't go, oh, the Antioch people, they were so nice. All they did was kick him out of town. No, they were just late to the game. But they traveled and then tried to kill him. So that's what happened in these cities. This, so this, uh, this, um, the fact that the Bible says after they were, they were in Derby and they evangelized that town, right, and they were successful and all these people came to know Jesus, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. That was a dangerous move. And anybody who would, who would just be reading through the book of Acts, if you don't read this verse like separate from the rest of the book, you would know, oh, that was a dangerous move. So why did they do it? If they knew they were taking a risk, if they knew they were going into a city filled with people that wanted to kill them, filled with people who did try to kill them, why did they do it? Now here's the answer. Because there were Christians in all of those cities who needed their support. They believed that there were Christians in those cities who needed their support. Look at verse, I'm gonna, now we're going to do second half of verse 21 and first part of verse 22 together. They returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. And I think this tells you why, because this is what they did when they got there. Strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith. In other words, all of the time that Paul and Barnabas spent in this city and this city and this city was not wasted There were disciples that had been left behind. There were people who became Christians, even though Paul and Barnabas' experience in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, even though it ended badly in every single one of those cases, it wasn't unsuccessful. When they got to Derby and things were good for a little while, there were Christians, there were baby Christians, there were brand new followers, people who had just been following Jesus for weeks or months that that had been left behind in these cities. And at some point they said, we got to go help these people who are brand new to the faith. We need to encourage them to continue in the faith. And so that's why they, they thought that was worth risking their lives. And so this is what they told them. So now I'm going to put all of, we're going to put all of verse 22 up there. Strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. So when he got to Lystra, and he got to Iconium, and he got to Antioch and Pisidia, that's what he told them. He said, I, I want to encourage you. I, you guys need to keep believing in Jesus. So I want you to know it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. And so that is our application verse this morning. I'll give you're wondering, like, well, what are we going to get out of this passage? What does this passage have to do with us, right? Well, I don't travel to Iconium, and I don't travel to Derby. Yes, I'm aware that the particular route they took is not super relevant to your life. But what he told them is, so we're going to camp out on this verse, okay? It is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. That's what he wanted the, the baby Christians in Iconium and Lystra and Antioch to know. And so I'm going to give you five points about this message, this, this little mini-sermon, okay, that Paul preached. I'm going to give you five points about it, and they're all right here. I'm just giving them to you all at once. We'll go through them one at a time. It is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God, and this is, what I've, this is what I want to tell you. First of all, number one, it was more than this. Number two, it was based in real life, this, this message. 
It was more than this. It was based in real life. Number three, it was relevant. Number four, it was realistic. And number five, it was hopeful. And here's what I mean. First of all, it was more than this. When I say it was more than this, I mean, <laughs> I think he said a lot more than these words. When you look at your English translation of your Bible, you're going to notice there are quotation marks at the beginning of this sentence and at the end of this sentence. But don't let that fool you into thinking that what that means is Paul showed up to these towns and said these words in this order verbatim and nothing else, right? I, I, it's, I think it's very unrealistic to assume that's what Luke meant, that he showed up, gathered the believers together that were in Lystra. Okay, pro, I'm assuming probably in some secret place because remember they had just stoned him to death, so probably not out in the public square. Maybe they're at some one of these believers' houses. And he gathers them all together and he says, I have a message. You guys have only been Christians for a little while, but we're back in town now and I have a message that I want to share with you. And this is what I'm telling you. I don't think he gathered them all together and said, it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. Thank you. And then walked off. And then went to Iconium and, and gathered them all together and said one sentence and then walked off. And then went to Antioch and gathered them all together for one sentence and walked off. No, no. This is, I think Luke is just summarizing what he said. This was the message that he went to all three towns. He gathered up the new believers there, and he said this, this, was, this was like the gist. I bet you he spoke multiple paragraphs. Maybe it was a dialogue talking back and forth. Maybe it was a long sermon. I don't know. But this was the point. The gist of what he wanted them to know was it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. So that's what I mean by it was more than this. Number two, it was based in real life. What do we mean it was based in real life? I mean, Paul was living this at the time he was preaching it. It is necessary to pass through many troubles. There's no way that they heard this and went, what do you mean by troubles? They knew what he was thinking of. They knew what he was talking about. I don't think any of them go, well, Paul, what do you know about many troubles on your way into the kingdom of God? They're like, well, no, we know exactly what you mean by many troubles because some of those people were there when the vote was taken to kick them out of Antioch. And some of those people were there. They overheard like the plot to kill them and went and told them so they could run away or something like that. Some of those people were the people that surrounded his lifeless body after he was stoned to death. They knew what he was talking about and how this was real life. It is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. Um, the, second, the third point is it was relevant. What do I mean? I mean it was relevant to them. Like what he was preaching to them Okay? It is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. Applied to them too. I do not think that Paul was... I don't think he went to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch and gathered the believers together simply to say, I want you all to know this, baby Christians, this is very important for you to know. I must pass through many troubles on my way into the kingdom of God. That's why these difficult things are happening to me. Because I, I have to go through many troubles. I don't, think that, I don't think he was simply saying that. That's true, but I don't think that's what he was saying. I think he was saying, we must pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. When he says it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God, I don't think the hour there is Paul and Barnabas. I think the hour is all the people he's talking to. How do you know that they're going to have to go through many troubles? Well, one thing you can know is because they're still living in these towns that were hostile to Paul. Paul had a particular message he was preaching and these people kicked him out and they tried to kill him. So these disciples, right, that he's preaching this to, they're still living in that hostility. Paul went on to Derby, but they're still living in the town where people want to kill people who talk like that. They're still there. So I think he's saying, it's, yeah, there are many troubles. You guys are living in these, these hostile, troublesome cities. There are many troubles that we're going to have to go through on our way into. 
the kingdom of God. I think he was assuming this was not just something that applied to himself. In fact, he said something like that a little bit later, and so I want to show you this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is a, a book that was written, as best as I can tell, like way later on, but it's a book from Paul to Timothy, and this is what it says in chapter 3, verse 10. It says, but you have followed my teaching, so the you there is Timothy, you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, now pay attention here, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the same three cities that we're learning about from the book of Acts. He brings them up in this letter years later. They came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And he doesn't explain what they were here, but we know what they were because we have the book of Acts. And Timothy knew what they were. He's, he's, he's bringing up information Timothy already knows. You know how, what it was like in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Now that's all personal, but then look at this next verse. In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So he talks about his own personal persecution first and then says, but this is how it will be for all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And so when we go back, let's go back to our points, our five points. When I say it was relevant, I, that's what I mean. I mean, I think he's saying to them, not just I'm having a rough time, I think he's saying all of us are going to go through this persecution if we want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And then number five is it's realistic. Realistic, I just mean he told them the truth. If you remember the verse that comes just, or the, the, the words that come just before this in this verse, it says that the, the thing that he was trying to do was strengthen them and encourage them to continue in the faith. And the way that he tries to encourage them to continue in the faith seems to me is to say to them, things are going to get bad. <laughs> like, I, I feel like there are not a lot of people these days saying that. I feel like there are not a lot of people gathering Christians together and going, hey, you need to continue. You need to persevere and keep following Jesus because it's going to be so hard, right? It seems like we live in a day where people would much rather go, you should follow Jesus because it's going to be so great. But he comes to them and says, no, you need to continue in the faith because it's going to be rough. It's going to get worse before it gets better. So he was, just, he was just shooting straight with them. like He was just being truthful. This is the way it works. And then look at number five, it was hopeful. The message that he gave them was hopeful. Well, it doesn't seem very hopeful. He's talking about how terrible things are going to be. Yeah, but he doesn't say it is necessary to pass through many troubles, period. That's not the end of the message. It is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. Oh, that's much better. It is necessary to pass through, not stay in the troubles, and the troubles are going to be there forever. No, pass through the troubles, get to the other side where there are no troubles, right? So it's not, hey, we're going to hang out in troubles forever. Praise Jesus, right? It's we're going to pass through many troubles on the way into the kingdom of God where there's no more trouble. He's not telling them that it's just going to be bad forever. He's saying salvation is coming. We are going to live with Jesus forever in his heavenly kingdom. And so it was a hopeful message. It was, hey, things are rough, but, it's, but the rough things are temporary. We're on our way into the kingdom of God. So in my opinion, I would say all of this applies to us as well. This is relevant to us, just like it's relevant to them. This was realistic for us, just like it was realistic for them. And the hope that they had is the same hope that we have. Now, I could imagine someone might go, but wait a minute, Mario, is that really true? Is it really true that it is 
necessary for Christians to pass through many troubles on their way into the kingdom of God? Like, isn't this just like Roman Empire, things were really rough back then, like back then people had to go through hardships for Jesus? I mean, is it really true that hardship because we follow Jesus is coming for everyone that is on their way into the kingdom? That can't be right, could it? And so let me just show you two, two verses that we've already covered. I want to put them both on the screen at the same time, though. So this is, the, this is our main verse this morning. It is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. And then this other verse, which we read earlier when he was talking about Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, and he said, in fact, all those who wait, want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He sure seems to be saying this is true of all of the believers. Now, maybe this is simply for this time period. Maybe he just means all of the believers in the Roman Empire, right? All those who want to live a godly life, maybe the implication was during this time period where they're after us, will be persecuted. Maybe he means it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom, meaning just the people of Iconium and Lystra and, and Antioch, right? Maybe he's just talking to them, but I don't think so. Um, I, think, I think that the principle that's in these verses is bigger than the, the, the two situations they happen to be spoken to in. Because I don't think the world has changed enough between then and now that the principles don't still apply. And when I say the world hasn't changed, I'm aware the world has changed a whole lot since the time period of the Roman Empire, okay? There's like lots of technology and whatever, iPhones and all sorts of things that have happened in the past 2,000 years. But I mean, when I say the world's not different, I mean the difference is sort of a difference of degree, not a difference of essence. Like, we live in a world that's very technologically different and governmentally different and socially different, but... Um, we don't live in a whole new world where there is no opposition to God anymore. Like, that's not the world we live in. We're, we're still in this world. And so I believe that this applies to us. All those, like, in this room who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All of us in Marion County, we need to know it's necessary for us to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. And, and I'm aware that interpretation of these verses will sound um, true to you or not true to you based on your definition of the words troubles and persecuted, okay? Because the way you define troubles and persecuted is definitely going to affect whether you think this happens to people nowadays in our country or not. So I think that there are probably two extremes within Christianity when it comes to defining what we mean by troubles and persecution. And so let's just talk about what the two extremes are first. Uh, there are, and I'm guessing you probably know these people, or at least can imagine this. So on one extreme, we've got Christians who cry about persecution over every little thing, okay? Christians that think everything is persecution, and oh, I'm being persecuted, and every single thing that bad happens, they've got to complain about it, and oh, they're always trying to persecute us, persecution, persecution, they're trying to get us, okay? You met these people, right? Everything's a persecution, they're always complaining about it, okay? So, so that's one person. Then you've got people over here, and the people over here on this extreme are basically saying, if they are not beheading people in the public square, it is not persecution, right? And you've met those people, right? Right, and maybe, maybe most Christians are in the middle. But what we have an issue here is, so the people on this extreme, I, my one concern I have for the people on this extreme that are always crying about um, persecution with every little thing, um, is I'm worried that these kind of Christians, really, we can come across as weenies. That's a big concern, okay? We come across as weenies, that just can't handle even like mild opposition. And every single time something happens, oh, I'm being persecuted. And I just, it seems to me there is a certain amount of toughness that Christians ought to have 
because we realize we're in a world where opposition is going to come and we do not need to whine and complain every single time an injustice occurs to us. However, the upside to the people over here on everything, the, the, everything is a persecution people, the upside to what they believe is they have no problem interpreting this verse. They have no problem realizing this verse applies to their life. When they go, all who want to live a godly life will be persecuted, they're going, well, of course, because it's happening all the time, every day, right? The people who are going to have trouble applying this to their life are the people way over here, right? The people who go, well, that's not persecution, okay? So what? So they're picketing your business because of what you believe, and you think you're going to go out of business because of it. So what, right? Sometimes people have been burned alive for their faith. That's persecution. Did you know that's what they did in the Roman Empire? And they go to someone else, and they go, so what? So they're trashing your reputation all over your high school. So what? That's not persecution. Being thrown to lions, that is persecution, right? You just go to school and shut up, right? I don't want to hear any more out of you. And so I think that if you're in that camp, well, first of all, let me tell you the upside to these people. The upside to these people is they are not going to whine and complain about persecution, right? Because nothing, nothing is persecution until like the, the last minute when they're about to, they only have a few minutes to complain about it and then they're dead, right? So there's, only, there's not much time to whine about persecution because you only got a few minutes and then it's over. And so, <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is that the, the, the downside to, be, to believing only the most extreme version of the word troubles and only the most extreme version of the word persecuted means trouble and persecuted. Those words can only mean the most extreme versions of what they seem to mean. Um, you're going to have a hard time saying that this is relevant to, to your life because there are going to be a lot of people that you go, well, that's not how. I don't know a lot of people that are being stoned to death. I don't know a lot of people that are being thrown to lions, right? But I, I thought they were Christians, but is it? But if persecuted can only mean set on fire while you're still alive, then we go, well, I don't think it's true that all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, right? I don't know that it's necessary to pass through many troubles if that's how you define troubles. And so you may come across a guy, and let me pick sort of a thing that's much lesser than that. Maybe this isn't a persecution, maybe it's a trouble. But imagine there's a guy who, he's got a girlfriend, maybe let's make it a fiance, and his life's going along, and then he becomes a Christian. He hears the gospel for the first time, becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, and then decides, I, I want to follow Jesus. Like, I want to obey him. I want, to I want to do whatever he wants me to do. And so at some point, he says to his girlfriend slash fiance, hey, um, we're not going to sleep together anymore. Like, I'm not going to sleep with you anymore until we get married, because I think that's what Jesus wants me to do. And then imagine she says, oh, we're not getting married now that you're a religious freak. And then she goes and gets back with her ex-boyfriend, and his, his, he's heartbroken, now, is that real trouble and real pain? Yes, it is, and it's because of Jesus. And yet, someone could come along and go, not real trouble. <laughs> when you're imprisoned, that's real trouble. And so I guess what I'm saying is, I'm not, I think we should be tough people who aren't whining about persecution, but I'm just saying, if you think that the definition of persecution can only include something that's, that's like that, you're going to believe that these verses do not apply to you, right? Many of you are going to go, these verses don't apply for nowadays. My definition of persecution means that it's not something that every Christian goes through. But could it be? <laughs> Is it possible that troubles and persecutions come in small medium, and large. Yes. And there are examples of that in the scripture. To, me, to use an example of a small persecution, I'll talk about Paul when he was in Antioch. When Paul was in Antioch, the first thing that he did, but this is before he got kicked out of the town, the first persecutions that came his way is insults. They verbally insulted him. 
If you remember the story, he was there in the synagogue and he preached a sermon and people liked it and people invited him to be the guest speaker the next week again, a second time. And he shows up to do his second sermon there and a huge crowd of people shows up, many Gentiles in the crowd. And the Jewish people got jealous and it says they started to insult him. I'm guessing they started heckling him and opposing him and like verbally attacking him in front of everybody. Is that a persecution? Is that a trouble that he went through in that city? Yes. Was it the worst thing that he ever went through? No, it, all, it, went, it went way downhill from there. But it was real, and Luke records it. The insults were real. Um, let me give you an example of a medium persecution. I thought about this this week. I preached um, years ago through the book of Hebrews here. And I remember in the book of Hebrews, there's a section where the writer of Hebrews is writing to the Hebrew Christians there in the Roman Empire. And he says to them, uh, he, he brings up this, he says, he says that they had endured the confiscation of their possessions. And he doesn't explain what that means because he was writing a letter to them and he, I'm sure he figured they knew what he meant. But some, some, some sort of confiscation of possessions had taken place. It seems to me it was a persecution. I assume it was the Roman Empire, like the, the official government that was persecuting them. So these were Christians and they'd had their possessions confiscated. But later on in the book of Hebrews, he says, you have not, like in your struggle of, against sin, you have not struggled to the point of shedding your blood. And so when you look at the book of Hebrews, it seems to me that what was happening at that point of history and what the writer was saying was, you are, you are going through the confiscation of your possessions. That is a persecution that you're going through, but it's not as bad as it could be. You have not yet been attacked physically for your faith. So are there, are there persecutions that are like serious and bad, but they're not the worst thing that they could possibly be? Yes, that's what was going on to the Hebrews. And then is there such a thing as large persecution? Yes, Paul being stoned to death in Lystra is a great example of an extreme persecution for believing in Jesus. And so I believe that in different cultures, in different time periods, in different locations, different levels or different types of trouble and opposition and persecution will come into the lives of Christians. But mark my words, they will come. If you are following Jesus, please hear this. I think this is so important. If you're in this room and you are following Jesus in such a way that it never, ever brings any suffering into your life, you are almost certainly doing it wrong. Because obeying God and worshiping Him and prioritizing him above all else, and pursuing his will on this earth, that always comes at a cost. And, and here's why. Because the earth hasn't been redeemed yet. You see, one day, in eternity, those of us who believe in Jesus, we will one day be able to obey God and worship God all the time, forever, with no suffering. But right now, we are on a cursed earth, one that has opposition to God all over it. And so it is inevitable that we will bump up against it as we live. And so if we act now, the way we will act in heaven one day, when we worship God and obey Him forever, it will hurt us now in a way that it won't hurt us then. And that truth is 
both discouraging and encouraging. It's discouraging that we have to go through persecutions now. It's encouraging that we won't have to go through them then. And that's what I think Paul meant when he said, it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. I hope that was helpful to you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. We start out today, at least in this particular prayer, thanking you before we even ask you for anything. We thank you for the kingdom of God in advance. We thank you that we're on the way there. At least I'm speaking on behalf of those of us who know you. Thank you that the persecutions are not forever. I thank you that the opposition is not infinite. I thank you that the troubles are temporary. And we will pass through them and go to the other side where there is no trouble. And so we just, we thank you for that. We thank you, Jesus, that you are going to return and make all things new. We thank you that seasons of refreshing are coming. We thank you that a new world is coming. We thank you that you're going to make everything right when everything that is bad will come untrue. I can't, even, I can't even picture that. Like, I don't even know what a trouble-free world would be like. But I look forward to it. And so I pray that you would bring us there. And as you bring us through troubles and oppositions, I pray you'd give us the strength to continue in the faith. I pray that you'd help us to suffer well. I pray you'd help us to be people who go through persecution and hardships for you well. I know in a room this size, there's going to be different people going through different things. Maybe some of us are going through small troubles and some medium and some large, and maybe some of us perceive some of our troubles to be because of our faith and I'm just trying to do the right thing. And others of us go, I think it's completely separate from that. It's just because I live in a fallen world and... And I think sometimes it's hard to even tell the difference between those two types of suffering. I was just talking with a friend of mine this past week about Job. And it seems to me Job was persecuted by Satan because of his faith in you. But it probably didn't look to him like he was suffering for his faith. He probably just thought a bunch of bad things were happening to him. So I don't even know how to tell the difference all the time. I just know, I know that we go through troubles and we know we go through oppositions and persecutions. And I just pray that you would meet us where we are in the midst of our, our life. And you would help us to pass through them well. I pray if there's anybody in here that does not know you yet, they would come to know you. And they would come to know you with eyes wide open, knowing that it, it does get harder before it gets easier. I pray for people here who um, are living lives where there's no persecution because they're not doing anything that's worth, like the other side's not opposing them because they're, they're hardly putting up a fight for, for their side. And I just, I pray to help whoever, myself included, help us to repent of that. I pray for anybody here who's a new believer. I know that in these towns, there were these people that's just been Christians for, I don't know, a few weeks, a few months, maybe a year, I don't know. 
And so I pray for anybody in this room that's like that, who's new to the faith. I pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them to continue in the faith. And I pray that you would help them to pass through troubles with their eyes open and with their eyes pointed toward your kingdom one day. So thank you for that. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your rescue. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.